Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. I hope you're all very well. Uh, we're going to be turning our attention this week to the business of cycling. We have a very heavily delayed Tour de France departing towards the end of this week. Uh, as we're speaking, heading through the French countryside and beyond for the next three weeks or so. Uh, but it's obviously been a very heavily time-shifted calendar for cycling in general, uh, creating a lot of challenges for all the stakeholders in that sport. To take us through what the next few weeks are going to be like as a broadcast experience and a little bit uh, explain a little bit what the changes to this year's schedule uh, have triggered through the business for cycling. Uh, we have Guy Voisin, who is the director of cycling at Eurosport and the head of GCN Racing at Play Sports Network. Hello, Guy. Hello. And we've got Mike Rich, who's the head of sports marketing solutions at Discovery and Eurosport. Hi, Mike. Hello, Owen. We're going to be getting a team perspective a little bit later on from Dara McQuaid, who's the chairman of Green Edge. Um, but yeah, we're going to be focusing on the media side of things for, for this first part of the podcast, guys. And where are you at at the moment with uh, with preparations for the Tour de France and how, I guess, you know, it's a, it's a big nebulous question to start with, but how does it compare with what you might have expected uh, in an ordinary 2020 around about June, July time to be going into this Grand Tour? Yeah, that, it, it's an interesting one because... Uh, I'd say we're at about the same place, except we have to take into consideration all these these extra um, details of safety and uh, security. So we do have people on site. Uh, ASO, who is the um, the producers of the Tour de France, as you probably well know, um, have laid down many rules. And and uh, for us to have those people on site, uh, for example, we had to make sure our staff and crew were were in France 14 days in advance, so they, they've left a few weeks ago, are living in France at the moment to, to, be, to be sure that they're COVID-free and they're being tested regularly to be sure that they're COVID-free and able to talk to the racers. Now, at the race itself, obviously, there's all kinds of limitations. Uh, we have booths where we're allowed to, to send our reporters in to talk to the racers as they walk by, whereas normally we'd be able to go and visit them at the buses or um, in their hotels uh, after hours. But uh, this year, it, it's, it's a limiting experience. Now, as a broadcaster, we have to get original and, and try to figure out different ways to do things. So there's the obvious Zoom calls from the hotels in the evenings. Uh, we're we're going to be following certain riders with rider diaries that we've hooked up. Uh, we have uh, our reporters, and amongst our reporters, we have... Uh, recent retiree from the Peloton, Bernie Eisel, who can attract some attention and, and, and bring in uh, his, his old mates and, and old teammates to, to talk to us. So I, I think we're in a really good place. And I think that we're going to do um, our, our community of, of cycling fans uh, very proud. On, on the broadcast side, uh, back home, we've, we've gone you know, above and beyond we've pushed to digital and we have uh we have now on on our digital platforms taken the time throughout the covid crisis to make sure we have you know seven languages uh on all the digital events so even if it's not the tour de france it's the other races that are happening because we have clashes we'll be able to have all of the racing on our digital platforms in seven languages and and uh, all all to better serve our clients and and all to better serve the community. So I I think we're in a really good place uh, for the Tour de France to answer the question directly. And I think we're in a really good place for the entire packed season of you know those the 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 two hundred days of cycling that are going to happen in the next you know hundred days. When it comes to the restrictions on travel. Um, some of the restrictions on contact that you've uh, you've alluded to there. How is the you know how does it affect cycling differently from other sports that have gone first? Um, obviously, you're not in purpose-built facilities for one thing. You're out in the open. 
you're you're sending teams kind of traveling uh, large distances just to keep up with uh, with the peloton. What what changes do you have to um, uh, or what challenges, sorry, do you have to account for when you're covering the sport? Well, everybody has to, you know. The, so this is a, it's it's almost a question for the UCI and and the sports and the race organizers, right? But they're 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 creating bubbles, so all the teams are are in specific bubbles. Whereas before, you know, they could mix it up in the hotels, and you know, you you, you have tons of stories from the Tour de France where teams are sleeping four guys to a room and stuff like this. Uh, right now, it's it's extremely bubble oriented. So every team's got their bubble. We're not allowed to penetrate it. We're not allowed to talk to them within, if if we're not near their bubble on the Tour de France specifically, right? Uh, in other races, there's it's a little bit easier going but as i was saying earlier all the teams had to have their their riders and mechanics and uh you know masseurs and and uh, soigneurs and and anybody who works with the team who's going to be on site the cooks whatever they're all tested regularly and uh in the tour de france uh case particular any two people that test positive in the team that team is 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 out of the race and interestingly, the, the cases are identified quite early and, and there's races who are identified before even traveling to the race that they may be COVID positive. So um, I think the, the, the people in charge, the authorities, and I feel they're doing a, a pretty decent job at, at getting that done and, and, and getting on top of it to make sure that we get the maximum amount of racing and that we get through, you know, the nine weeks ahead of us of the three grand tours without any massive uh problems obviously we're talking uh, at the end of august we're going into a race that's going to be running for, through the first three weeks of september instead of uh running through july there's been a massive amount of disruption to, to eurosports entire programming slate as there has for uh, every broadcaster in sport everywhere what what's that done to to your kind of planning basically to your strategy through this summer you know how how have you have you managed to build a narrative or how have you worked to build a narrative and what other kind of programming decisions have you had to make over the last few months to you know account for that lack of of live cycling yeah i'm not gonna lie to you it's it's it was a rough summer (laughs) i didn't expect this summer to be is is hard so it was almost harder than than if we had the racing as normal. And, and I think you get that answer from a lot of people in a lot of different uh, different businesses. But we hit hard fast. Uh, we got on board with some, some digital partners to get some digital racing out there, eSports. Uh, and then we, we went into what a lot of sport broadcasters did into sort of history storytelling where we wanted to to retell stories from the Giro, so the best 21 stages of the Giro, and over the last, you know, 15 years, and and uh, and we brought in uh, a whole digital aspect where we could go and get polls running through the the the, the races at the same time, and and um, and just create a different experience to review the past. Now, further than that, where where I was personally really interested, and where the the cycling team. Uh, Eurosport and GCN really jumped in was, okay, how can we get ready for the return of sport and how can we get ready for it technologically to be one step above everybody else? So, you know, uh, we, we constantly went after all of the women's cycling to make sure we had as much of it as possible, if not all of it, uh, in the rights for the next years. Because, I mean, the, the point was, okay, we have this period to, to, you know, concentrate on what's coming up. So we went after the women's cycling. Uh, we've gone after the, the cycle cross because we want to expand and we see, you know, the, the growing desire in our community of cycle cross fans. And, and, and then we, we said, okay, how can we bring it a step further? And that's where I, I come back to my point about the, the, the multilingual broadcasts on digital is saying, okay, we're going to have a pack schedule where we won't be able to, to offer everything on a linear traditional broadcast because, well, it's what it is, right? It's linear. And, and so uh, when we have simultaneous events, how can we put them all on with three events in a day, four events in a day? So we concentrated on getting this multilingual broadcast event-based commentary on all of our digital products. And then, creating content around it same solution so how do we you know how do we get a broadcast such as the breakaway in the uk 
um, on linear when immediately after the Tour de France, we're going to go live to live to tennis uh, in the US Open, which is a huge attraction for, for Eurosport as well. So let's, let's push that broadcast on um, to the digital platform to really offer the full breadth of, uh, of experience from Bradley Wiggins and from, uh, you know, Orla Schweeney and, and Dan Lloyd to make sure that we have that team uh, GCN and Eurosport uh, on the digital side, creating a show that really goes through, you know, the steps of the race and, and really takes a look at the race in depth. Mike, I want to bring you in at this point. I mean, what kind of pressures did, uh, did all of this create for you over this summer where you had a, you know, a whole season of, of programming and you will have had partners involved in that and you will have had targets uh, for audiences as well that just become completely irrelevant at this point. But then you again have to shift back into live programming mode later in the year. What what's, what approach did, did you take to that on your side? Uh, yeah, look, I, I'd echo um, Guy's point that um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's been a challenging few months as it, as it relates to live sport. But I think, look, I, I, I think from my perspective, what's been really interesting is the clients we work with tend to break down into sort of three broad buckets. And if I was if I was to sort of maybe use a, a sporting analogy, it, it, it's been a little bit like sort of prepping for the, for the start of a race. We've had some brands that have been in sort of, um, sort of get set mode. Um, travel and tourism sector has obviously been hit extremely hard. And, and we've been sort of working with them on pending plans for Q4 into into 21. Um, so they've been in the sort of get set mode um, or Tonya Marks mode. In terms of kind of getting set, we've had we've had brands like luxury and automotive where they've been on a sort of maintenance path during the the, the COVID period. But interestingly, we've had quite a few brands uh, in the uh, logistics sector, in the kind of digital entertainment space. Um, in the betting space that have, have actually remained very active across the period. And, and I think Zwift will be a classic case in point um, where, you know, we, we're working very closely with them on a brand partnership level, but also expanding that brand brand partnership uh, for them to become a, a content provider as well, running um, some virtual racing during, during the lockdown. But um, I mean, for me, you know, it's been a very challenging few months, but at the moment, I would say there's just there's just an immense amount of pent up excitement at, at the prospect of live sport coming back, and, and advertisers are very keen to capitalise on that that level of excitement with our audiences, um, and we're just gearing up to, to to work with those brand partners to make sure that we maximise the level of engagement that we can deliver with our audiences for their for their commercial messages. So super optimistic actually for for Q4. Yeah, what did you learn from that quarter? It was almost a, a full quarter of non-live content where you were leaning on original programming, leaning on the archives, leaning on some of the more improvised stuff that you've talked about there with, uh, you know, the, the digital races and so on. What did you learn about the performance of that type of programming on the kind of platforms that Discovery and, and Eurosport have to hand? Look, to be brutally honest, um, nothing compares to live. Um, there, there, there is no getting away from live, but certainly our dot-com product has, has performed extremely well um, in terms of the stories around sport. Um, and I think, you know, one of the joys of my position is I, I have a level of oversight of our wider discovery portfolio as well. And we've managed to work with a number of, of advertisers across some of our lifestyle products, um, consumption of food and home um has, has actually seen significant uplift over the over the period. So, I mean, really, it was just a case of delivering what we could, where we could, um, pivoting with those brands to, to maintain their commercial messages um, where they were up for it, and then getting ready for the return of live sport as, as best we could. And if I may, on that point, is that uh, our, our, our other cycling brand, <laughs> GCN, saw a massive increase in in their viewership and and the community around the globe during that period so so even if we weren't in live sports which is is an incredible you know an incredible attraction to 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 us and and super important gcn which is is got the biggest cycling community in the world right now uh was doing extremely well and and was performing you know beyond expectation yeah and i 
I mean, you make a very good point, Guy. I mean, I would, I would echo that. I mean, from a commercial perspective, I think it's been very interesting to see um, as, a, as a participation um, sport, cycling consumption ha- has, has gone up massively during, during the, the COVID period with, with also the consumption of bikes and purchase of, of, of bike equipment. Um, so again, that, you know, that, that plays into an idea that says that you know, with live cycling coming back, our commercial partners um, have a real opportunity to, to, to build on that appetite. Yeah, I want to get into some of that um, crossover, the kind of crossover between elite and, and performance, what you, I suppose you could call performance, uh, lifestyle cycling with people who are pushing it a bit further and then people who are just getting into the sport and, you know, bringing those communities together on, on GCN and across uh, the play sports uh, universe. But first of all, I mean, in that deal between Discovery and, and, and Place What's Happened, where are we? The start of last year. What stage have we got to with the integration of of those brands? And, and what kind of a, a cycling product is it looking like Discovery is going to have now? So as far as integration goes, I mean, it, it's, it's a really big company, Eurosport uh, and Discovery. With with a smaller company like GCN, but and 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 mindsets that are completely different, right? So GCN is hyper fast turnarounds and it's all digital. It's it's you know very social, uh, Facebook oriented and 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 very young vibe. Uh, Eurosport is, is the more traditional and and very uh, high quality broadcast vibe, and and that's I think. Th- the easiest way for me to describe both. So the integration at first, I'm not going to lie, was not easy, right? Especially on the engineering side, the engineers didn't understand how GCN worked and GCN didn't understand how we worked. And I was actually uh, head of, of GCN racing and got pulled over to the Eurosport side to kind of facilitate this whole thing at first. And, and up to now, I'd say it's going surprisingly well. And it's even better than surprisingly well uh, in the last, I'd say the last 10 months, the teams are really starting to attract each other's qualities. So the, the, uh, the GCN side, uh, we, we've got a, a small broadcast team that are really locking into the, produce, the live producers of Eurosport and really locking into the, the engineers of Eurosport. And the engineers of Eurosport are, are really starting to, to get involved in how GCN does things. And that communication has really, um, really augmented to a point that that I feel we're in an incredibly positive place. To the point, as an example, that during the COVID crisis, uh, some of the engineering team on on the uh, discovery side uh, communicated with the GCN team to see how they could facilitate getting certain type of digital races and and others on air. And and uh, you know we you know, piled them in a virtual room together and they came out with some solutions that were really incredible and and that we were able to use to, to broadcast the Zwift Tour for All or the Giro uh, Classic Stages and, and that now have flowed into what we do for our digital and linear platforms, uh, you know, with things that we're testing now to, to, to be even more, um, even more performing, uh, performant ready, if you will, uh, for our community. You're listening to the Sports Pro Podcast. So is it looking like at this stage we're going to have something where each of those brands has a has a place basically in, in what Discovery is trying to do in cycling rather than bringing something together and uh, and having a, a big kind of totemic vertical thing um, that, that tries to serve everybody? I think we already do have a place for both brands and, and Mike will probably be able to answer it better than I on a certain part here, uh, especially the commercial side. But I think we already have a very solid identity with both brands and they both have a place. So for example, GCN is 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 not only a, a European brand as Eurosport is very much that 71 countries that we, we serve. GCN is, is, is global. Uh, GCN is also a highly lifestyle brand and, and, uh, and, and I think that's got its own place right there. And the fact that we're, we're, with GCN that we're touching uh, on racing is due to the relationship with Eurosport and that, you know, they can go out and reach all the communities that, that Eurosport doesn't reach at the moment. 
throughout the rest of the world where Eurosport is, is, I mean, got that reputation and that solidity in Europe and, you know, yeah, I, I think there's, there's a place for both and, and I'll let Mike, uh, well, I'll hand over to Mike. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think your, um, your totem analogy, certainly as it relates to our brand partners is, is a good one. The, uh, for, 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 for me, the, the GCN relationship just just presents us with a fantastic opportunity to deliver really creative solutions to our commercial partners, um, and that's everything from you know the the full live experience through to um, the ancillary programming that we create on linear, through to social, through to digital, through to on demand, through to podcasts, and you know certainly. The, the way I look at our um, our business construct is that we've got a you know we've got an incredibly strong passion vertical in cycling, and the brand partners that we work with want to capitalise on the passion that our audiences have, and um, the Eurosport product combined with the GCN product just allows us to engage with consumers through every touch point. And, and, and hopefully deliver sort of all of the requirements that they want. And, and, and we've what we think are hopefully really strong commercial messages in because we have a, you know, we've heavily committed to building out a creative solutions function within our partnership team. So we work with our brand partners to make sure that we can integrate their messaging into our output in a meaningful way to add some value um, to our consumer experience. What are some of the ways, I mean, you, you talked about, some of the creativity you had to find um, in the early stages of, of the pandemic and, you know, just purely getting some of these digital events together and, and, and using people from the Eurosport and GCN side to do that. But what are some of the other ways that the last few months have given you an opportunity to think about how these different parts of, uh, of, of the discovery cycling world can, can come together? Yeah, that's it's, it. It's a, uh... It's a difficult question, and and it's because you know I live with it day to day. So it's it's like watching your child grow up. You suddenly realize that you know five years later that kid is like five years old, and it's you know half a, a meter and a half tall or something, right? It's it's just uh, oh geez, I didn't think of that before, and now it just seems so natural. So um, a big part of it is, is to, to me is that you know we had to start thinking about our relationship with with um the athletes a, a little closer we had to start thinking about how how do we um how do we see ourselves uh, as a broadcaster uh a little bit further along and and um and 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 how do we represent the um the different uh entities in cycling so like the different um the cyclocross and the track cycling and 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 i i think in a personal reflection, that's where I went uh, with it and brought it to my team is, is how are we going to go and, and, and look at all the cycling that's not represented so that it is not the man's road racing cycling, if you will, and how are we going to bring that to the community, make sure it's understood, make sure it's properly represented, and, 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 and so that everybody realizes how exciting those um, events and that type of cycling is and and that's where we're really headed and and that's what we we you know when we call ourselves the home of cycling on Eurosport and and GCN you know the global cycling network I think we have to look at everything and GCN's been on this path for a long time in the lifestyle area they cover you know the the epic adventures and the lifestyle and the track and i mean you can get anything on gcn right they they've got that covered on the lifestyle and so how do i as as the director of cycling at eurosport bring that kind of vibe over in racing and and to touch it and then you know you have to in my opinion you have to get closer to the athletes you have to get closer to to the race organizers and and even encourage races that you know for example we we decided to do a test with a, a gang in out of Berlin called the Rad Race, and they have a race with fixed gear cycle, uh, fixed gear bicycles, no brakes, and uh, on a go kart track in the middle of February, and it's called the Last Man Standing. and And we just decided we'd broadcast it and discovered that hey, 
our viewership, uh, our community is is really interested in this race. They they watched it in mass and and loved it. And so like you know, I've been in contact with them. How can we how can we maybe create more events of this kind? How can we create perhaps a series? This type of uh, uh, it, it's it was really a little a bit of time to to sit down, look at it, and start to go. Okay, where are we going to go with the future of cycling? Let's not just be traditional. Let's not just say okay, we're going to do men's races, you know, uh, throughout the year. Let's do all kinds of cycling. I think that's really what we took away. You know, from that little point of time, we were able to kind of step back and say, okay, there is no live racing, so let's get a couple of things going. Let's make sure that we don't let go of 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 our track to make sure that, you know, we have stuff on air and that people are interested and stuff. But at the same time, let's start concentrating on where we're going to go as a broadcasters. And Mike, something that you talked about a bit earlier was uh, the growth of cycling as a, as, as a lifestyle, as a, as a means of transport, really for a lot of people, you know, that's something that we expect will have been accelerated uh, in a lot of cities in particular by, by this crisis. What are the implications of that? commercially and what are the, what is it you know how does it change your focus on what you want to do with programming but also with other kind of commercial solutions uh, over the next few years yeah it's a good question uh, to, to be to be perfectly honest I, I, I don't think it changes our focus at all w- what it does do is it reinforces the fact that that the major commitment that we've made to to, to cycling to be to be to be brutally honest uh, ha- has been a good one um you know the 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 interest levels are on are on the rise across uh, I, I guess every level of the of the industry, um, and and certainly for me from a commercial perspective, the the only thing that's been missing over the last couple of months has been has been the live piece. Um, you know, as Guy was saying, G, GCN has seen some record numbers in terms of consumption of their uh, video product, their uh, educational pieces around around cycling. You know all, all of the sort of component parts that your um, day-to-day cyclist wants to consume, and so for us commercially, um, having live sport come back is kind of the icing on the cake. And and, and what we hope it it, it will be a, a real springboard to the development of our uh, of that cycling passion vertical that we have, um, and and a really good precursor into what is going to be a massively packed schedule for Q4, but also um, takes us into the run into Tokyo 2020, which we're sort of heavily in the midst of, of planning for now. So in some respects, I think it's quite hard to draw uh, positives out of um, the, the, the kind of period of pandemic that we've been through. But certainly, I, I really do think cycling is going to get a real bump um, as, as we start to see things come back to normal. Okay, I want to bring it back just just before we or just as we wrap up, uh, bring it back to this year's Tour de France. And what what do you hope to learn out of the next few weeks, Guy? I think one of the things that's very that's been very striking for a lot of broadcasters over the last few months is is how much they've had to ramp up their activities in remote production, for example, just find different ways of of doing things, of uh, of, of getting the on screen product together, and also. Uh, distributing and, and editing and everything else, in, in, perhaps in different locations. You know, what are what are some of the things that you're hoping to get out of it from on uh, from a technical perspective? Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and and um, and technically, I'm extremely lucky because Eurosport is, is uh, has been and and has been planning and 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 been working on this for years, and and their remote broadcast possibilities are far beyond i think most most broadcasters to be totally honest they are and, and we're even there's going to be taken a step further in a few months and another step further in a few months after that so the the engineering team are very very intelligent people much more intelligent than i and and they 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 have really been making my life uh, a lot easier for all the requests i put in and challenges we we you know all, all the sports of Eurosport have been asking of them. They've been stepping it up. So it's not so much what I'm going to learn as a, a remote um, broadcast. Because like I was saying, I think Eurosport is, is on their way to wrapping that you know, part of the market up. They're going to be the top of the top. And that's, that's no doubt. What I'm going to have to take away is, is how creatively can I use those tools, right? And, and, and how creatively... Um, how can I look at it 
with with the team with GCN who are who are you know have got these this hive mind of cyclist fanatics like there's 200 cyclist fanatics over at GCN and then you know the team at Eurosport how can we we harness all that creativity and then mix it up with with live racing it's been the uh, focus for the last uh, for the last year and a bit and and it's going to continue to be and and that's what you know we're we're trying new things at this tour and uh and and you know to to communicate with with the riders and and how do we use the riders and i mean for example if you look at you know on the GCN race pass right now they have the the world of cycling show you know they have these rider diaries uh with uh, Ella Viviani and his his uh, partner and and you know uh Tom Schoons uh that are hyper creative and, and really bring you into the Peloton and are super fun to watch. And yet they're not completely pro cycling type of vibe. It's, it's really a bit of a lifestyle. So it, it, I think that's where we have to head and, and, you know, we have to bring that entertainment factor to the community as well as the live, the live race. And, and because they, they just, it's a marriage made in heaven, you know? And I think we have this incredible opportunity to do so. Guys, what are your what are your targets for the next three weeks and for the rest of the cycling season? Oh, for, for, for me, there's a there's a pretty simple base level. I, I you know I, I hope the event uh, goes off safely, and um, that that we the target for me is that we can deliver the level of expectation that our commercial partners are anticipating because um, it's been a pretty dry and barren road over the last couple of months. So for me, this, just the target is making sure that we deliver effectively to all our partners and capitalize on um, what I think is going to be a super exciting next three weeks. Yeah, I echo Mike. And, um, and, and you know, really, if I can add anything, it's that I just hope we really communicate, and I know we will, but I, I really hope we get communicate all of the desires to our community of cycling fanatics out there and that they get to, to watch all the races they want that, you know, they have, you know, the Eurosport digital open on one, the linear open on the other GCN app open on the other, and they can watch three races in the same day on the 25th of October, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. I, I hope that everybody gets, you know, a satisfying experience. Okay. Thanks very much, guys. We're going to be hearing just after the break from someone who's uh, hoping for a different kind of satisfaction out of the race. He's uh, Dara McQuaid, is the, who is the chairman of Green Edge Cycling, who will be sending the Mitchelton-Scott team uh, out to France, um, Australian-based. Obviously, they have World Tour teams in men's and women's cycling. So lots to talk about there, about his experiences of this disrupted summer, uh, and what he hopes is to come for cycling commercially in the next couple of years as well. That's coming up just after this. Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro podcast. Subscribe, like and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with a hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast. We're listening to. Dara McQuaid, Chairman of Green Edge Cycling. Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining us, Dara. Obviously, it's a, an incredibly busy week in the life of a, a World Tour cycling operation uh, heading into the Tour de France. A slightly different time of year um, than we're used to for the big one. But what, what have preparations been like? going into this kind of uh, this September tour? Well, it certainly has been an unusual year, uh, both from an organisational point of view, from a commercial point of view, and uh, from a, a sporting point of view with the athletes and their preparation. Um, the COVID-19 has, has thrown up uh, a lot of challenges. The calendar has been truncated, so to speak, with a reboot of the 2020 season in late July, early August. Um, our team came out of the traps pretty well. We won a lot of races, so the, the riders have clearly uh, had a good lockdown, so to speak. So we're, we're going into the tour and pretty confident. Um, I'm here at the service course in, in Varese, and just yesterday and today, all of our 
team vehicles uh, left for, for Nice. So it was a pretty exciting time around the uh, team headquarters. And uh, we're looking forward to hopefully starting in Nice and making it all the way to Paris. Yeah, what kind of how many how many layers of additional planning have you had to put in for the tour, given all the kind of COVID secure uh, protocols and everything else? We've uh, since since uh, the the lockdown, um, we uh, independently started our own uh, planning for when the season would restart. So we've had a a full uh, COVID nineteen planning uh, team put together, led by our. Uh, um, UK-based doctor, Dr. David Hulse. And uh, we're pretty proud that, you know, we're going to go to the Tour de France and we're going to really know that we've done our absolute best to mitigate any against any potential COVID-19 um, issues. Look, it's not it's not possible to be 100% sure that nobody will will uh, pick the virus up, but we're, we're, we've really, really done a big job on, on creating our, our own, what we call race-safe uh, plan and... Uh, and uh, with the other teams doing the same and the organization ASO uh, putting in like a significant plan, uh, we're, we're you know, guardedly optimistic that we'll, we'll make it all the way to Paris. Mm. And with the difference in the numbers of people you're allowed to, allowed to have around a facility at the moment and obviously the, the distancing that you've got to put in place and everything else, what kind of decisions go into who's going to make the trip, not just to the tour, but obviously you've got... Uh, you've been involved in shorter races all through this month, you know, where you're having to decide, okay, we'll send this group off to this race and this group off to this race. What, what's what gone into into some of those decisions? Yeah, as, as part of our race safe plan, we've created uh, several different, uh, what, what we would call bubbles within the team. I mean, just this morning as well, we, we had a set of vehicles and staff heading off to the Tour of Hungary, which starts later this week as well. Uh, so, uh, we've basically created a, 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 a number of different sets of staff that will all, always travel together throughout the, this short and pretty intense uh, season. So that's been a new challenge, but it's it's not an impossible task. And uh, really getting down to racing, which is what our organization is set up to do, is, is what it's all about. And once the riders are out there on the race course, it's somewhat back to normal Um but when we get to our team hotel, when we go to a supermarket to buy race food, when we pull into a petrol station to fill up the team bus, team trucks and team cars, it's it's all of that sort of non-racing element is what has changed slightly. But, you know, we're, we're getting on with it and we're, we're staying positive. And I think in, in the when you look at what's going on in the world, for some semblance of normal racing, uh, professional cycling to be happening, it uh, it's it certainly has been... So far, I've visited a couple of a couple of uh, races, and it's been it's been pretty pretty well done. And I think the television, if anything, is somewhat even improved because the the riders are so desperate to get some good racing, and the racing has been pretty exciting. What what kind of collaboration has there been between between the teams? Obviously, sharing best practice and so on, in, in what are very unusual times um, with the UCI, and then with promoters like uh, like the ASO for for the tour. Well, I mean, everybody, at the end of the day, you've got to row your own boat. And uh, we, we set off, in, as I said before, in advance of, of the season restart to create our own plan. Uh, the UCI is the global governing body of the sport to have also uh, put down the regulations. And then each individual organizer will have their own uh, specific regulations because at the end of the day, national governments in Switzerland or Hungary or France will have different policies. So it's 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 an, a combination of all should again nothing is going to be 100% secure and safe but it should lead to as safe a racing atmosphere as possible mm. now you stepped into this role in July so you didn't have the same kind of uh, oversight as you do now when when all the cancellations and postponements and so on kicked in uh, back in the spring but what were the what were the implications of that financially for for, for world tour uh, operations like what what were what were the things that you had to uh, had to had to get straight had to you know what were your priorities in terms of in, ensuring the the viability of the team when 
when there was such uncertainty around uh, around racing? Well, my previous incarnation with the team was was commercial director, and I'm still heavily involved in the commercial side, and uh, became pretty obvious pretty soon back in February. In fact, the last the last main race which took place, we won with uh, Adam Yates. The UAE tour was when things really kicked off in February, and there was a, an actual lockdown at the race, and. It, it doesn't take the brain of Britain to work out that a sport like cycling, the, the value um, for sponsors is is the visibility from television and, and live races. And when that's not happening, sponsors uh, naturally will come to us and say, OK, if this goes on for three or four or five months, um, there will be a, a, a financial consideration to, to, to look at. So we <clears throat> immediately in, in March kicked off uh, an e-sport initiative, um, which was putting our, our riders who were in lockdown into into Zwift races and Zwift rides with with our with our fans. So we, I think, moved pretty in a pretty agile way to to try and create some pretty good visibility for our, for our sponsors. But in the in the bigger scheme of things, we're used to every July, the whole world's eyes turning to France for the for three weeks for Tour de France, and with that not happening. I've noticed in our commercial world for, for, for our team that uh, our sponsors are now, when we're talking about next year, we're looking at including COVID clauses and different commercial entities have different approaches. Some some have uh, proposed to me that we actually do a race day count and if there's X amount of races uh, minus, well, we would take X amount off the fee. Others would see that we're just as active on social media and on, in the esport world. So it's, it's not one size fits all. I think uh, the, the sporting sponsorship world, but even the wider commercial world, is having to readjust in light of this ongoing COVID um, situation and, uh, mm-hmm. and change our contracts accordingly. But we've been very lucky. If anything, our uh, situation during the year when we were uh, going in to potentially a partner with the Spanish entity Manuela Foundation, which which then we decided not to go ahead with. We've actually had some pretty significant global uh, brands approach our team in terms of 2021 and beyond the commercial partnerships. Um, so the, it became aware that Mitchelton and Scott were the, the the spot of the naming of the team was available. So in an ironic way, in a in a year that has been terrible for wider business community. And even a tough sports sponsorship uh, um, period as well. We've actually um, had really good engagements with some significant uh, brands about sponsorship for next year. What happened with the Manuela Fundacion? Was that was was that related to COVID, or was that something where you you kind of you'd been exploring the partnership and it wasn't quite the right fit for other reasons? Yeah, I think you could say it was related to COVID in the sense that the misunderstanding that came about was probably because on a, on a deal such as this, you really need to be sitting down with people face-to-face for two or three days and having a lunch and having a dinner and getting to know them because Jerry Ryan, who's our, our team owner, has created this team uh, nine years ago and it, he really feels like it's his baby. And in, in passing that baby over to somebody, you need to really know them. And uh, it was probably rushed a little bit too much in the in the in the excitement of a potential sponsor. And then, you know, midway through, we realized that it wasn't the right fit. So we took corrective action. And uh, that's when uh, Jerry also asked me, it was in mid-June actually, to step in and uh, uh, become the chairman of, of the team and, uh, you know, make plans for the next next uh, number of years. What else did you learn during that period where uh, where there wasn't any racing? And, you, you know, you talked about what you were trying to do digitally with Zwift and and so and uh, and so forth. What did you learn about what what assets you have available, but also equally how important the actual road races are to your visibility and what you can offer your partners? I think at, at the at the at the very base of it, we're we're, we're a, an amazing sporting organization that has men and women competing around the world and upwards of three hundred and twenty race days a year. So the visibility that delivers. Could never be replicated by uh, Zwift rides, etc. So our, our sport is magic because it 
It literally has the best athletes in the world going by your your kitchen window, um, and it goes into cities and towns and and through amazing landscapes. And that's what I think makes the fan base so loyal to cycling is just the the amazing nature of the sport and and what it, what it does with the races, where it goes. But I think we also quickly realized that, and it was happening anyway, Zwift has become an important, and, and uh, e-sport e um, cycling has become an important element uh, to bring people in that might not normally be on a bicycle. If you're living in a high-rise skyscraper in Hong Kong or Singapore or, or, or wherever, um, being able to get up on Zwift and you know have rides with people around the world digitally, it's it's fantastic. So we, we, we'd already been a a close partner of Zwift's. In fact, going back as far as 2016, when one of our riders, Matthew Heyman, broke his arm, he trained on Zwift and he ended up winning Paris-Roubaix. So we've always had a very close relationship with Zwift and we've seen that world really develop. And what COVID did was give it an incredible turbo boost this year. But already, even before the lockdown and the COVID situation, the International Olympic Committee were, were discussing that e-sport e cycling could be the first e-sport to enter the Olympic family because it's actually doing the sport, the physical sport, uh, as opposed to just using your thumbs uh, on a control. So um, we'd recognize that that element of our business is, is becoming more important. In fact, I'll, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, with a, with a global brand that I've been in, in talks with since January, so through the lockdown, um, yesterday we had two virtual rides with this company. Uh, one was in, in the morning, which had UK, Germany, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Australian executives from this uh, company on a on a Zwift and Zoom ride with Simon Yates, Amanda Sprash, and, and Daryl Impey. And uh, Phil Liggett was the MC. And then in the afternoon with the same company, we had executives from New York, Chicago, Mexico, Costa Rica, Colombia, riding with uh, Esteban Chavez and uh, Lucy Kennedy, uh, Luke Durbridge. So having our athletes, even the week, the Monday before the Tour de France, being able to engage with potential sponsors to show them what it can be like in terms of uh, activations with our with our riders, uh, that sort of thing is is just becoming a really important tool in in our in our business model. Yeah, and I, I guess looking over the next three weeks, you know, you think of how much of the spectacle of the Tour de France is going to be missing outside of the race itself. You're not going to have the same kind of race village environment uh, uh, on each leg and you're not going to have the same opportunities from your perspective commercially to activate through hospitality or through experiential things on site. So does that digital element now become more significant over these three weeks as well? Absolutely. Uh, the The... Both the ASO and UCI have extremely strict protocols. I spoke to one of our sponsors this morning who will be in Monaco and he's going to cycle over to Nice just to say hello. But normally he would be in, in our team car in the first stage. So it is having an impact on that. But I think what we're all accepting is, listen, there are certain things that normally would happen that are not going to happen during the three weeks. But if we can start in Nice and make it to Paris, and have the tel televisual as well as, the, I mean, there will be some spectators, but, uh, you know, just obviously not taking selfies with riders, not getting up close and personal with the riders. So we're, we're all accepting that it's not business as usual, but if we can, if we can pull it off together and make show, make some spectacular racing for, for the television audience, I think that'll be a big victory. And what are some of the conversations you've had with your partners about uh, how to make good on that, that difference you know how to get the most out of the visibility you have on the media side um given that some of those other opportunities aren't going to be open in 2020 yeah again this, this the sponsors also live in the real world and they know that we, we can't do the do the impossible so um it, it's a case of i'm not saying it's a case of suck it up but um it, everyone is realistic as to what we can do and we're pushing a bit more on social media, doing some other fan engagements on, on sponsor behalf, uh, on behalf of the sponsor that um, that'll give them some extra value. So um, we're, we're, it's such a complex sport and particularly something like the Tour de France, we have such a, I mean, the logistics are just enormous between in the lead up, we've got 
writers and staff uh, members doing recons of, on the stages. We've got everything from you know the mechanic side to the, to the health and wellness side of our team to the commercial side, all pulling in the same direction. So sponsors, certainly in cycling and given the current situation, are very forgiving if there are certain elements of their normal uh, rights package are not going to be available. So we've had open and frank discussions with all our commercial partners to say, listen, this is what we can do, and everybody's in agreement. So we're lucky to have good partners like that. This is the Sports Pro Podcast. Looking outside the tour specifically and, and how this calendar has unfolded, obviously it's uh, it's been shifted back through the year. So you're, you, I mean, uh, the the competition for attention, I guess, is, is completely different because every other sport has had its calendar shifted as well. Um but the you know you've had quite an intense block of races, and you obviously have a, a different set of plans for um, where you're going to be and when um, on the media side as well as on the on the racing side. What how has that affected your strategy? Has it been kind of have you just been improvising and and hanging on and trying to get through 2020, or did you have uh, a different kind of set of strategic goals that you were able to to put in place in time for this season? Well, you know, the, our racing goals have not changed. We, we plan our racing season, this 2020 racing season, last October, November. And we already had Esteban and Adam uh, leading a Tour de France team going after stages. We had Simon leading the Giro going for the overall win. Now, the fact that they've changed from July to August and from May to October, it actually hasn't changed our strategy in terms of the races. So what, what the riders have done with their sports and uh, uh, sport directors and, and trainers is basically try to change their, their fitness peaks for this. Once we got the new calendar out, it was like, okay, we've got a peak for uh, such, such a date and uh, change the training accordingly. So on that sporting side, really on, on the helicopter picture, our, our, our strategy hasn't changed at all. Uh, logistically, obviously, things changed massively, but in terms of our our aims for the year, they haven't really changed. Obviously, the um, uh, the men's team is is one half of the operation. You also have a uh, women's world tour team who who are racing alongside them uh, or racing on on their tours on their calendar. What has this done to the visibility of of women's cycling this year? Is it uh, is it a setback? Well, I think we'd all agree that women's cycling is really on a big upswing. You know, this year, later this year, we'll have the first ever women's Paris-Roubaix. Um, uh, I attended Strada Bianchi, where our, our reigning world champion, uh, Annemiek van Vluten, uh, won in just absolutely incredible style. And, you know, in the commercial landscape, the more global brands I'm talking to, in terms of any engagement with cycling, they see the sustainability, the gender equality, and the esports as three real strong pillars in cycling. So, the 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 women's calendar has been, I guess, uh, growing. Even though COVID has created you know the same challenges for the women's calendar as it has for the men's. I know the Bowls Tour in in the Netherlands was cancelled, but I I think everyone's doing their best. And what we see next year is. A new uh, multi-day stage race uh, going to take place in Norway. And um, I did see uh, recently as well about the new Women's Tour de France. So women's cycling is in a good place. It's challenged just like the men's um, in terms of this year. But we're, we've had a women's team right from the from the beginning. And we're, if, if anything, we're putting more resources uh, behind the women's team for various reasons because they deserve it. It's, it's, it's a... It's a really important element of our business and um i think the girls are happy to get out there and and uh, uh focus on, on the races that are, have been put in place um in fact i think anamique our ch- champion at the moment she a few minutes ago she crashed in uh grand prix of Plouay in torrential rain but she's just got uh, i've just got a, a message that she's back in the group so uh hail rain or sunshine uh, the girls give it 100 percent and what's the? How, how do you see that women's team developing commercially? Are you are you looking for different sets of partners, different audiences? What what what's your strategy there? We're open 
to potentially a different partner, but the more, um, I guess, that some significant commercial conversations have gone on uh, this year and continue to progress, the more I see it as a complete package. Uh, they they complement each other, the men's and the women's team. Uh, more and more, we have them racing together. You go to Strada Bianchi, our teams are in the same hotel. They're going to the start finish in the same in the same bus. You see it. At, you'll see it at Paris Roubaix. You see it at Flesh Wallonne. You see it at Liège Baston Liège. I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of the the women's racing uh, being very close to the men's racing in terms of uh, commercially, in terms of sporting sense, and in terms of actual uh, promotion of of races. So we see it as a, a as a complete package in the, in the commercial sense. Another thing I wanted to talk about is just the the profile of cycling generally obviously the we haven't seen racing through the summer but what we're perhaps seeing an acceleration of particularly here in Europe is a change to uh to to transport strategies and and perhaps again another step up in terms of the significance of cycling to people's lives you know more people being encouraged to commute by bike uh, in order to reduce pressure and and circulation levels on public transport etc etc do you how 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 far do you respond to trends like that, and how far do you kind of is, is that something that you that is felt a little bit further down the line um, for for someone in your position selling sponsorship for for a professional road team? I, I'm I must say I be, I do believe there's a, a strong trickle down effect from that from government decisions uh, to sport. I mean you only have to look at the UK. 25 years ago, it was government funding of the sport of cycling that made the UK go from a kind of a uh, maker of the numbers to one of the strongest uh, performers in world championship and Olympic cycling. So, you know, I was I did the lockdown from Italy, but I consume, you know, Irish and British uh, news. And I see a new government formed in, formed in Dublin about five weeks ago, and they committed to over a million euros a day for the next five years for cycling infrastructure, I see Boris Johnson committing to do two billion for cycling infrastructure. There is no doubt in my mind that that type of investment in public support and public infrastructure for cycling has a, a positive effect on the sport of cycling. Because at the end of the day, it you're going to see companies will be engaging with governments, and they see cycling as a is a positive hot topic, and it's making a positive impact on people's lives. Um, you know, I grew, I grew up in a, in a bike shop and uh, I, I know the positive impact it makes on somebody who may have driven into work for 20 years and decides to buy a bike and then all of a sudden it transforms their life in terms of happiness and, and how healthy they are. So I'd be a big believer that this global reawakening of, of how positive a thing the bicycle can be in, in the streets of Paris or the streets of uh, Bogota and Colombia or, or London or Dublin or anywhere um it, it is only going to be a good thing for the professional end of cycling because you know more bums on bikes is is ultimately going to lead to a, a better engagement with the sport as well so um i'm very pleased that out of a, a horrible uh global pandemic like this covid 19 thing has been that cycling is one of, is going to be one of the few what you might say um beneficiaries i know from the commercial side of the business of bicycles you know, big, 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 big brands that I talk to are, you know, the warehouses are empty. So that's that's only a positive thing for the sport of cycling. Um, don't don't mean to obviously be too positive about this crisis, but certainly the bicycle business and, and the sport of cycling might uh, might benefit from it. And finally, what are your what are your hopes and expectations for the next couple of weeks or so next three weeks? Uh, hopes are we make it to Paris. Uh, uh, all the teams uh, in good shape with no no uh, positive um, COVID uh, situations. Um, sporting sense, um, we've got eight riders. Every one of them is capable of winning a stage or multiple stages. I know last year we won four stages and it was a really superb Tour de France. We're going in with a very similar mindset. It's a really tough tour. Not that any tour is easy, but this one, particularly in the last week, is very tough. So we're going to be shaking it up and be very visible and aggressive. And uh, we're also uh, quite a, a team that's very well known for having a bit of fun along the way. So we'll have a good laugh 
and uh, put the hammer down and, and try and win some some uh, important stages. All right. Well, best of luck with it, Darren. And thanks again for your time. Thank you, Owen. Join the conversation with the Sports Pro community. Follow us on Twitter at Sports Pro. Find us on Instagram at sportspro.media. And connect to Sports Pro Media on LinkedIn, where you can also become a part of our specialist OTT community. Sports Pro, connecting and inspiring the business world of sport. Okay, that is it for another Sports Pro podcast. Thanks again for Dara McQuaid for his time there. Thanks as well to Guy Voisin. Thank you. And to Mike Rich. Thanks, Owen. Thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, We'll be back again very soon. Enjoy the tour if you're watching it and uh, speak again. Bye-bye. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon. 